Good morning, Oakwood. Glad you're here this morning. We're starting a two-part series going to lead us into Easter called Carriers. And I know uh, that title may be like Carriers. What does that mean? Is that like aircraft carriers or carriers of disease of some type? And you'll understand by the end of the message uh, what we're talking about there because we need to carry the gospel to the lost and dying world. If you're wondering, why do they do all this stuff at Easter, this extravaganza and what uh, Alan and Melissa were talking about just a few minutes ago, it's because we care about the gospel and we care about the loss. We care about people getting the gospel message and being able to respond to that. And we do that through a variety of methods. We do it every day in God's church. And when we do it, that's, that's why they built the Oakwood Activity Center was through a, a sports and outreach uh, ministries that can present the gospel to people and invite people to be a part of God's family. There's, there's so much that's, that's going on, and it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of his sacrifice. And that's why we are called to be carriers I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I want you to identify yourself this morning if you think that you are a Christian. If you're someone who has put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're someone this morning that says, hey, I'm all in, I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, I've been baptized, I am all in. If I said that this morning, probably most of you in this room are going to be like, yep, that's me. Most of us are, are Christians. There may be a few of you that haven't made that decision. You have felt like God is just knocking on your heart and inviting you into his family, but maybe you're checking it out or maybe you're trying to understand what, what does this mean, a relationship with Jesus Christ? What does this mean? You're trying to figure that out, but I just want to tell you, you've come on a, on a good Sunday today as we are going to be talking about our mission because the moment that you become a Christian, you are on mission with God through his son, Jesus Christ, to seek and to save lost people. And it's not like a choice. It's not, it's not an option. It's just an expectation. When you get on Jesus' team, you are on his evangelism team, and you are taking that evangelistic message to the lost and dying world. Now, the fact is, how many of us are doing that, right? How many of us did that yesterday, on Friday? How about this week? How about this month? How about this year? How about in the last five years, right? It's a challenge to us, right? Today we're going to be looking at a text from Acts chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. Acts chapter 9. It's in the New Testament. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, you are always welcome to follow along on your phone, your tablet, your iPad. Just download the Oakwood app. You can do that through your uh, app store. Just search Oakwood Enid. Download the Oakwood app. Go to sermon notes and all the notes and all the scripture references and everything will be right there for you. But the main thing we want you to do this morning is to engage the word of Scripture. Take notes, read it for yourself, highlight it, let God speak to you this morning as we begin this series called Carriers. And let me explain what I mean by that. A carrier is someone who carries the gospel message of Jesus to people and sometimes carries the people to Jesus. Today we're going to be focusing on the first part of that. Next week we'll be focusing on the second part of that. But I want you to understand, just establish up front this morning, that if you are a Christian, you are a great commission person. We as God's church are a great commission people. And we receive this mission to evangelize, to take the good news, the gospel message of Jesus Christ to the world the moment that we are saved. If you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you accept the mission that that same grace that you found 
that you would present that offer to others. Believe it or not, that's God's crazy plan to get the message out to the world is that right there. It's you and me. It's you and me being a part of God's army of believers going out into the world and presenting the gospel. And I want to remind you this morning, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he did it for everyone. Now, I know some of you are like, what? Everyone? Now, <laughs> you don't know. You don't know somebody that I know. Because no way Jesus died for him. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. There's, there's no way he's ever going to accept Christ. I mean, talk about somebody who's walking in darkness and is so out there and so lost. You know, Jesus died for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Even the people that you feel like are on the fringe, they're the furthest possible distance from God they could ever be. Jesus died for them right where they're at. I know sometimes it's just like grace. It's just like, wow, I, I just, it's hard to fathom when you really think about it. But that's what kind of crazy love God has for us. Well, in Acts chapter 9 today, we're going to learn about two people as we talk about evangelism and seeking and saving the lost. Today, our story begins with someone whose name is Saul. And then another man that we'll meet named Ananias. Now, you know Saul. Now, for some of you, like Saul, oh, King Saul from the Old Testament. Eh, wrong. This is a different Saul. This is a Saul in Acts chapter 9 in the New Testament that three chapters later, I think it's in uh, chapter 13, verse 9, his name suddenly changes to Paul. See, Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Gentile name. And he's going to use his Gentile name. You'll see why. You'll understand why later. But we're talking about Paul, the Apostle Paul. They wrote most of the New Testament. This is one of the greatest, greatest evangelists of all time. That guy is who we're talking about today. That's Saul in our passage today. And then we're going to talk about this, this man named Ananias. And you guys know Saul that becomes Paul, but do you know Ananias? And how did God use Saul and Paul? Well, duh. He wrote most of the New Testament, but, but how did he use Ananias? And how did their paths cross? We're going to be talking about that today. Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Let's read the text together here. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I'm going to pause there for just a moment and make you understand, okay? The text is written in a, in a, in a certain way to make a point, okay? He's breathing out murderous threats. Why not just say he was making murderous threats or he was talking about murder? Why breathing out? What the writer is trying to get us here is this is who he is. This is a part of his innermost being. That as he drew his breath, he was living for every breath, breathing out murderous threats against God's people, against Christians, persecution. That's who Saul was. So let's read it again, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, the followers of Jesus. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues, that's the Jewish worship houses, in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, notice in the text there, the way is capitalized. It, the way is a reference to Jesus. They did not want to spread his name, spread his fame, spread his glory. And so oftentimes in the book of Acts, you'll find references to Jesus, and he's called the way. 
And we, we capitalize it because we know it's talking about deity. It's talking about the Son of God. It's talking about Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus said that, right? He's in the upper room with his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 6. The night that he was betrayed, observing the Last Supper, taking communion with his disciples. And they said, oh, you know, you say you're leaving us and you're going to heaven and how can we know the way? And Jesus answers them in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so from that point forward, some of his disciples and some people outside of the faith didn't want to speak the name of Jesus, and so they would just call him the way. And so that's what he's talking about there. He says, so that if, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, it didn't matter, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He's going to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem to torture them, sometimes kill them, sentence them to death, and make their life horrible. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by his hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas, a man named Judas, on Straight Street, and ask for a man from Tarsus there named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I want to share with you just a few observations from the text to begin our time this morning. As Saul finds himself coming from Jerusalem and going to Damascus, if you've ever heard of the Apostle Paul's conversion, Saul's conversion experience, it's right here. That's what we're reading here in chapter 9, on the road to Damascus. But Saul, coming from Jerusalem to Damascus, was on a mission, but it wasn't to find Jesus. You see, Saul wasn't seeking to find Jesus. Saul was seeking to find Jesus' followers to lock them up, persecute them, and maybe kill them. Saul was not seeking to find Jesus. In fact, he's being such a persecutor, most people would say, yeah, we don't want to encounter Saul. Saul's a bad dude. Saul's one of those that's out there. One of those people that they, he's never going to come to Jesus Christ. 
In fact, he hates Jesus Christ. He hates everything that Jesus Christ, the way, is about. He's, he's a bad, bad, bad dude. There's, there's no way he's coming to Jesus. There's no way he's going to repent of his sins and turn to Jesus Christ. There's, there's, there's just no way. David Platt, who is an author, in one of his books, he tells a story. And, he, and he's talking about a Muslim who converts to Christianity. Now, if you are a Muslim, it means you are part of the religion called Islam. Several of uh, our adversaries of the United States and the world are Islamic countries where Muslims populated and, and, and you know, sometimes make up 90 plus percent of the country. They're the ones that declare jihad. They're the ones that oftentimes are angry and trying to fight against the, the Christians wherever they're at in the world. It's a slippery slope if you're in one of those countries to convert to Christianity, but that's what happened in the story. David Platt shares the story of this Muslim who's converted to Christianity. Well, they, like us, as soon as they become a Christian, they know. I've taken on a huge responsibility. I have a target on my back now, but I'm called by God to live out the great commission, to do, to do what the Bible says in the great commission. And so they immediately are asked to make a list of people that need to hear Jesus. Well, if you're a Muslim in a Muslim country, guess what? It's everybody. All of your friends, many times when a Muslim converts, it's all of their family, their entire family, all of their friends, all of their coworkers, everyone around them is a non-Christian, usually. And so when they're making their list of people to evangelize and to share the good news with, it's everyone. But usually what they do is they'll, they'll put down 50 or 60 people that they could share Christ with. But then the story goes that then they're asked to write down a top 10 list and in that top 10 list, put the people that are least likely to kill you on that list. Because some of them, when you share it with them, you're going to be a target in a way that you have no idea. And that we have no idea as American Christians what persecution to that level is really like. At least not yet. But they make a list... And it's, their list is the least likely to kill you list. And I'm thinking of Saul here. He's probably not on anyone's list, right? He's the most likely to get you killed, thrown in prison, persecuted. Like he's on the most likely, not the least likely list. Understand, no one is praying for Saul. He's on anyone's prayer list. He's so far out there. He's been breathing these threats. There's all these stories and acts about what a bad person was, what he, that he was, how he hated Christians. And so all of these things add up to he's, you know, he's not, he's not a good guy. He's not going to be on anyone's list to evangelize to. Now you think about this for just a moment here. One of the greatest evangelists of all time, who would become one of the greatest evangelists of all time. They would write most of the New Testament. That guy Saul, who will, in four chapters, become Paul, wasn't on anyone's list to share the gospel with. He wasn't on anyone's prayer list. No one was praying for him. No one thought that he could convert to Christianity. But I want us to understand right up front this morning that God doesn't write off people as quickly as we do. And let's just admit it right up front. We do. 
We have our least likely list, and we're not going to share Jesus with them. We're not going to have a conversation. If we have the conversation, it always ends with an argument. And it always turns political, or it always turns about morals and values, and they don't have the same morals and values that we have. And so, you know, it's, it's just not worth it. It's just going to end up in an argument, or they're just going to, you know, blaspheme Christ right to my face, or it just becomes contentious. I mean, yes, I know that guy, and he's, he's, he's just so lost. And, but sometimes God doesn't give up on those people. You know, Saul wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for Saul. And sometimes Jesus wants people on our least likely list. People on your list that you think, nah. But sometimes God wants us to pursue those people. Another observation from the text is that Ananias wasn't seeking to find Saul. He wasn't seeking to save the lost, especially Saul, just minding his own business, walking with the Lord. I do think that he was probably pretty close to the Lord just because what happens in verses 10 and 11. It says in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. He's called a disciple. A disciple is a fully devoted, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. And so he's, he's identified right up front there as, hey, this is a disciple of Jesus. This is a committed Christian. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, when when he did that, when Jesus did that to uh, Saul and just a few verses earlier, it was like, who are you, Lord? But Ananias doesn't say, well, who are you, Lord? He says, yes, Lord. Like he knows him, like he's got a relationship with him. And you read on right after he says, yes, Lord, and in verse 10, you get into verse 11, the Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him to restore his sight. I mean, I kind of believe it kind of went down like this. Hey, Ananias, yes, Lord. I know you, Lord. Hey, I need you to go over to Straight Street. Straight Street. Oh, oh yeah, it's just a few blocks. Yeah, just a few blocks over there here in Damascus. Yeah, Straight Street. I, I know where Straight Street is. Yes, Lord. And I need you to go to the house of a man named Judas. Judas, Judas. Oh, yeah, he plays pickleball with, with my dad. Yeah, I know Judas. Yeah, of course I know old Judas. Yeah, he's a, he's a great, great guy. Yes, Lord, I'll, I'll, go see, I'll go see Judas on Straight Street. And I want you to look there. There's a man there, and he's from Tarsus. Okay, a man from Tarsus. Yes, Lord, I'll go, I'll go to Straight Street, and I'll go to Judas's house, and I'll look for a man from Tarsus, and the man's name is Saul. You're looking for a man from Tarsus that's in this house. His name is Saul. Yes, Lord. I'll go look for this Saul guy from Tarsus. Wait a second. <laughs> Tarsus. A man named Saul from Tar Saul of Tarsus? Are you kidding me? And then what does he do next? In verse, in verse 13, you kind of feel sorry for your eyes. It's one of those times in life where he, where he feels like he needs to tell the Lord what he doesn't know. Like God doesn't know. Lord, you don't know what you're asking. Let me tell you about Saul of Tarsus. Because this bad, yeah, let's, let's just read it. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, um, in case you didn't know, um, I have heard many reports about this man. And all the harm he has done to your holy people, the church in Jerusalem. And he comes here with the authority of the chief priests who are trying to squelch this Jesus the way movement 
to arrest all who call upon your name. That's, that's who you want me to go. Just clarifying for a minute here. The guy that arrests Christians and you make sure they get a good licking and tortured and, and sometimes they die from the persecution. Saul of Tar, that guy is over at Judas's house, my dad's friend, on Strange Street, and you want me to go over to him and look how the Lord answers him in verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Mine has an exclamation point. Quit thinking about it. Quit talking about it. I'm God. I can do anything. I can win anyone. You just go. Isn't it funny there in verse 13? Because Ananias told Jesus about Saul's past, but Jesus told Ananias about Saul's future. Because look what he says in verse 15. He says, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel and to write the New Testament. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Your job is to be obedient to me and the call I've put on your life, Ananias. Just go. Christianity is a religion of carriers who will carry the gospel message on God's behalf to lost people that need to hear it. And that's the call of the text this morning on a man named Ananias is carry the gospel and go. Now, there's three facts about evangelizing with Jesus that I want you to know this morning. And I want to start with this, and this is not in the notes, but... Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is the marching orders. It's the Great Commission. We're a Great Commission church. If you're a Christian, you're a Great Commission person. The Great Commission, Jesus said to his disciples right before he ascended to heaven, some of his parting statements, your marching orders as Christians, he said this. He said, all authority on heaven and on earth have been given unto me. Therefore, because I'm Jesus, the Son of God, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then Jesus says this in the next verse. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I'm with you always on this mission. When you are a gospel person and you're sharing the gospel with people, I am with you every time. Oh, but I don't have the right words to say. I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm with you. I'll fill in the gaps. The Holy Spirit will carry your conversation. You just do what I've called you to do. Three facts about evangelizing with Jesus. The first one is this. Jesus will chase everyone. Jesus will chase everyone. God is relentless in his pursuit of people. He's so crazy about it to the point that Jesus Christ, his only son, was sent to be a sacrifice, to die and to be tortured and to die a cruel death on a cross for you and for me and for the people on our least likely list. He died for them, and because of that, Jesus chases everyone. It's his mission. It's why he's here. Luke 19.10, Jesus said this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
Mark 2.17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, folks, but the sick. I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It also reminded me of 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 9. This is bonus. It's not in your notes. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. It's talking about the return, the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance and to accept Christ as Savior and Lord. Jesus will chase everyone. And here's the fact. God was chasing Saul long before Saul started chasing after God. And you know that from this Damascus experience on the road. And let's be honest, that's our story too, isn't it? I mean, if you think back to your conversion and when you made a decision for Jesus Christ, whether it was as a child or a teenager or as an adult, that's your story, is that Jesus was pursuing you and chasing after you long before. Because, you know, we all have that story about this happened and this happened. And then I heard this, this message and then this friend shared their story of, of their faith. And then my grandma just had been praying for me for 21 years. And, and then I had this happen and then this happened and, and then this horrible tragedy happened. But God got me through it and then I came, became a Christian. We all have all of these things that happened. It's a part of our story. It's because we were pursued. We were chased after as well. Jesus will chase everyone. The second thing this morning is that Jesus can change anyone. Not Saul. He's a persecutor of Christians. He wants Christians to die and to suffer. No. Not, not everyone, but Jesus can change anyone. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 7 remind us of this. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. I like to describe it this way. It's B.C. versus A.D. B.C. stands for before Christ, A.D., after death. Or if you're marking the calendar by it, Anno Domini, it's Latin for year of our Lord. Yeah, if you didn't know that, Jesus is such a big deal that even our calendars reflect that, okay? If you say it's 2023, you believe in Jesus, okay? So all your atheist friends, if they say it's 2023, they believe in Jesus. They just don't know it. Don't tell them, okay? I mean, it's, actually do tell them. That's the whole point of the message, but yeah. Um, but it's the year of our Lord, and Jesus was such a big deal. We mark our calendars by his birth, Right? But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about before Christ versus after death in that. Before Christ, you were someone, and then you met Jesus. That's the verses. And then after death, after you buried yourself in that watery grave of baptism, and you were raised to walk a newness of life, just like we read about in Romans 6, 4 through 7, is that you were different. You were changed. Jesus 
changed you. You may have been a negative, old, cranky, sinful, dark toot of a person before. And then you come to Jesus and you're completely different. And you guys know that because some of you experienced that in your life. There's such a stark difference between B.C. and A.D. in your life. Or you've seen that in someone else's life. It's someone in your family. It's one of your friends. It's one of your coworkers. You saw them before Christ and you saw them after death. And you were like, wow, something amazing has happened here. Remind yourself, don't ever forget, Jesus can change anyone. Even people who want to kill Christians and persecute them and throw them in jail, God, God wants them too. And that's why Jesus will chase everyone. Jesus can change anyone. And the last thing this morning is Jesus will choose someone. He will choose someone. If we read the chapter just before Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 8, do you know who Jesus chose in Acts chapter 8? man by the name of Philip. Do you remember the story? Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch riding on the chariot. Philip shares the gospel. He's so stricken to the heart. He says, I need to be baptized. He said, hey, there's some water over here in the ditch. Can I get baptized right now? They jump off the chariot. Philip baptizes an Ethiopian eunuch. Jesus will choose someone to be the carrier of the gospel for him. In Acts chapter 10, the chapter after our text this morning, it's Peter. You know Peter, right? One of the disciples, day of Pentecost preacher, Peter from Acts chapter 2. It's Peter he chooses in chapter 10 to be a carrier of the gospel to people. And in our text today, it's a man named Ananias. Ananias is actually going to be a carrier of the gospel to Saul of Tarsus. Because Jesus will choose someone to go for him. And what did Jesus tell him to do in verse 15? Did you catch it? But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Go. Quit making excuses and go. But he's, he's a persecutor of Christian. He kills people. Go. Dude, he's in darkness. There's no way he's going to see the light. Why waste our time on him? Go. Ananias, go to Saul. The fact is, people, that sometimes Jesus will send you to places and to faces that you will choose not to go otherwise because of fear. Sometimes Jesus will choose to send you to places and to faces that you will not otherwise go to because of fear. You're paralyzed by all the excuses in the world how you cannot, how you cannot be this mouthpiece how you cannot be someone that God would actually use. You feel like you're disqualified or you feel, you feel like so many things are wrong. Uh, you know, I'm just not good enough. I don't know enough. And, and it, you know, when I quit doing this and quit doing that, sometimes we just need to quit the quits and get after it and just go and do what God commands us to do. Ananias had plenty of fear about Saul. But he answered the call and he went. Now let's read the last two verses of our passage today to see what happens. In Acts 9, 17. Then Ananias went. He had to tell God to make sure that was the plan. God says, go. So then Ananias went to Judas's house over on Straight Street. And he entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, 
Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here into town, has sent me so that you may see again. But folks, when he sees again, he's going to see different. Completely different than he did before. And you are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so now, Saul, you're going to have Holy Spirit eyes. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up, and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Two words there in verse 17 that just jumped out at me was, Brother Saul. Did you notice the shift that Ananias made in four verses? Brother Saul. You see, sometimes grace is experienced before it is explained. And I think Ananias had to be reminded of that grace that you've experienced, Ananias, because you, you have a story, B.C. I'm telling you, I've chosen Saul of Tarsus to be a powerful tool for the gospel in my hands. So you go and you show him grace. And when he greets Saul, he greets him with brother Saul. What are we going to do? Are we going to see who anyone can be in Christ? Are we going to see who anyone can be in Christ? Because I know some of you are looking at people in your family or you're looking at people in your youth group or you're looking at people in your, in your small group or your Sunday school class or your, your quilting guild, your soccer team, and you're looking at some of these people and you're like, there's just no way they're ever going to become a Christian, let alone an evangelist. But isn't it amazing how new converts sometimes make the best evangelists? Because they remember what grace feels like. They remember what it's like to be lost and to get found. Are we going to see the potential in people? Are we going to see who anyone can be in Christ? Another question is, are we going to be who everyone can see? Are you going to be Jesus with skin on to people? Are you going to be who everyone can see? Because Ananias had to make that choice. All right, I'm going to be the vessel. I'm going to be the mouthpiece. I'm going to be the goer here. I'm going to be the carrier of the gospel. Because the fact is, folks, if you want to win someone to Christ, non-Christians don't read Bibles. Non-Christians read Christians. And the world's looking at you. And your family's looking at you. And there's a lot of lost people that you don't realize how far they are or how close they are to accepting Christ or looking at you. Are we going to be who everyone can see and be an example of the witness of Jesus Christ? You see, Ananias had to say yes to Jesus. He had to say yes. That's the call of the gospel this morning. If you are a Christian and you said yes to grace, and you said yes to accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord, and you said yes to an eternal life in heaven someday because of his sacrifice, you also said yes to being an evangelist. You said yes to be a carrier of the gospel. 
And God wants to use you. There's probably been a hundred times in your life where he said, go. And you were like, no. Go. Talk to them. No. Go to that meeting. No. Go to that place. No. But he's calling you to say yes. Just like you said yes to Jesus. Say yes to his mission. And say yes to give someone else an opportunity to know him. As you go out this week, make disciples and be carriers of the gospel.